Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. This is your host, Rick Stevens, and folks, remember that this is your show. If you've got those questions you would like to have answered, if there is a topic you'd like to hear a little bit more about on a future Money Matters episode, please feel free to reach out to us. Give us a call at 719-500-8700. You can also send an email, or Stevens at frsfinancialgroup.com, or simply go to our website, frsfinancialgroup.com. Click that contact tab up in the top right corner. Send us that question, that message, that topic you'd like to hear more about. We would love to hear from you. Well, folks, this week on Money Matters, we are joined, as always, with our wonderful co-host, Andrew Rogers. Andrew! It's going to get cold today, and it may snow. Yeah. Or it may not. 50, but it 50. might. I've always wondered, in that meteorology world, why every day isn't a 50% chance of whatever. Because there are only two choices, right? It will or it won't. Yeah, I mean, there's something weird. I've heard them discuss the science. I mean, I, I trust them. Honestly, I'm just really excited to be able to wear more hoodies. Yes, and not yes. have to uh, think that much about the daily wardrobe mm-hmm. at two thirty in the morning. Yep. So it, it comes in handy when you're trying to dress yourself in the dark. Yeah, so I mean, hoodie season is welcome, <laughs> especially the uh, the combination of the grays and the Honolulu blues. Is, yeah. is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, especially and, and, if it's a real steel gray. There you go, or or perhaps a little red and white at times. Yeah, little 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 red wing action yeah. going on there. Yeah, throwing a little bit of dark navy and uh, some maize too. Uh, I don't know. It's getting a little too political to wear that these days, though. Uh, Well, that's very, very true. Well, folks, this week on Money Matters, we're actually going to do a little uh, taking a look ahead at some things. Uh, In particular, we're going to take a look ahead at uh, markets. We're going to talk a little bit about maybe what to expect at the last few weeks of the year, but really Mm -hmm. taking a look, Andrew, at 2024. The fun part about this is, and and I always love this part is trying to go out and find what everybody else is saying about what they expect to see in markets. Because if I look at fifteen different headlines, I get fifteen different stories. Okay. So some some fun stuff through there. I do want to start out with this though. Okay. I will I will you know throw that blanket uh, disclaimer out there. I am a Gen Xer. I did grow up with The Simpsons. Okay. And one of my all-time favorite pieces of a Simpsons episode came in one of the Treehouse of Horror Halloween episodes, probably at this point in time, 25 years ago or so. Yeah. And it was the episode where Homer was searching for a gift, 
And he went inside this little shop, and he was buying a monkey paw. As you would. Of course. Because it would grant wishes. And as he's discussing this with the shop owner, it's awesome. Because this, this charm, the shop owner says, you know, it grants wishes. That's good. But the wishes are cursed. That's bad. But it comes with a free Frogert. Which is good. But the Frogert is also cursed. Ah. Which is bad. But it comes with your choice of toppings, which is good. But the toppings contained potassium benzoate, which is bad. Oh. So, right, it's that whole, here's the good, here's the bad, here's the good, here's the bad. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, quite frankly... As I go through and I'm paying attention to all these different things going on in our economy and, quite frankly, even on the geopolitical side around the world, there's good, there's bad, and ultimately it comes back to how everybody tries to compile that data, Andrew. Let me guess. You take them both and then you have the facts of life. Yes. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have Brad Lidge's favorite theme song, uh, if you've ever heard him sing that on air. It's great. So when we're looking at the financial markets, and one of those things that uh, I know there are folks out there, and and I've talked about this as well, when you look at the big picture, right? Mm -hmm. Not just this year, not just the last two or the last 10, but if we actually look at the S&P 500 since its inception in 1957, and actually we can take and do the math on things all the way back because of how it's built, uh, all the way back into the 1920s. For the last really 60, 70, 80, 100 years, you see the average annual returns of about 11.88%. Okay. So 70 years of real data, we can make some adjustments going back even further to, to see that that still is the number. But... It actually doesn't always tell the full story. Okay. Because one thing that we see over time, markets have oftentimes very cyclical movements. You know what those cyclical movements are called, Andrew? Cycles. Look at this. He has got this. He's got the grasp on this, folks. He knows what we're looking at. So, yes, they are the market cycles. So, what in the world? is a market cycle. It is not a motorcycle. It's not a unicycle. It's not a bicycle. But it is a rotation, if you will, through our markets. And and generally speaking, Andrew, in markets, there are four very specific phases to that market cycle. Okay. Now, it's not an exact science because I can't tell you that on, you know, March 19th, 2027, this is going to happen. It's not exact science like that. However, There is a general perspective that we can look at here. So four phases. One is the accumulation phase. Okay. And believe it or not, it actually is what it sounds like. These are some of those terms we have named that make sense. Okay. In the accumulation phase in a market cycle, the market has hit the bottom. Innovators early adopters of new technologies or new products, they are starting to buy things again. So accumulation is starting to happen in terms of 
putting your money into something and seeing it start to grow. Okay. We're accumulating some growth here. The next phase is the markup phase. Accumulation phase, our stock price is growing. The markup phase, the stock kind of stabilizes a bit and becomes a little more predictable on the way up. It's not that straight up, but then they're down really bad days, but then straight up and then really down bad days. This one now in the markup phase becomes a little bit more stable. We can start to see, okay, this is kind of what predictably is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that accumulation phase, a lot of those kind of early adopters, those innovators. So that market phase would be kind of becoming more mainstream. You're not as kind of indie or underground or something like that. You've got more people noticing you. You kind of have made it. You're you're on the center stage. Exactly. Exactly. So you have made it there. You are you are now, you know, oftentimes a little bit more profitable company. And and this is one of those things and, and we've talked about this on here before when we talk about the cycles, this isn't the 1920s and 30s and uh, Roy and Walt starting Disney and seeing this spread out over 100 years. Yeah. This really is taking a look at, you know, maybe 1990, and you see the companies go through this phase before 2000 yeah. happens. So this is kind of the, you know, you've moved out of the garage setup. You've got your office space. You've got, you know, the glowing neon sign on the door, the, yes. the etched glass. All You're the, looking good. All the good stuff there. And we go from then that markup phase to the distribution phase. Like, okay, distribution, what do you mean by that? Well, that's where, as an investor, we start getting distributions from the company. They are actually able to start paying out those profits mm-hmm. as dividends. They have truly, quote-unquote, arrived at that point in time. They've become dividend payers. Okay. Uh, we saw this actually uh, with, with Microsoft. They moved from the markup where the price has stabilized and moved higher into that distribution phase. Actually, in the late 90s, they started paying dividends. Okay. They, they weren't the straight up, we're splitting four for one this week, and oh, look, in three more months, we've grown so much, we're going to split three for one again. That was their markup phase. They hit the distribution. Okay, we've got these profits. We're going to stop sinking every penny back into the company and start distributing to our actual shareholders. But like all good things, they come to an end. Yeah. That fourth and final phase is the downtrend phase. And it is just like it sounds. That's when the stock price starts to head down. Yeah. Not a crazy thing, right? We we've not named these real weird and and crazy things. They, the names of the phases actually match what's going on. So, the question here, Andrew: How long does the cycle last? Hmm. The answer is yes. Okay. Or if I or or if I just go, you know, straight Evan on us, and I can give us the it depends, right? Because. It kind of depends. Yeah. And it depends on the company, right? And the product and the service and all of that sort of stuff. And that. the market and the overall conditions and the, you know, economic factors outside of that. Exactly. Exactly. And and if we're breaking it down to the specific stock level, it can go anywhere from a few months to a few years in that in that uh, cycle. But if we look at the market as a whole, we, we pull back, we look at the broader picture, right? Because mm-hmm. we can paint a better picture with those broad brush strokes 
than we can with the very narrow look, right? I can tell you roughly it'll take me X amount of time to get from Colorado Springs to Denver until I have to zoom in and I'm looking at all of the uh, traffic cams and going, oh, well, it's at a dead stop over here going through the gap versus there's an accident mm-hmm. over there. And we're, we're trying to get those very specific individual sections going. In that big, broad picture, we can take a look at things. And, and the market cycle in that big, broad picture is about seven to nine years, right? So something we see every seven to nine years where markets have had a downturn, they've hit a bottom, they've come back up, they've crested, and they've headed back down again. Mm-hmm. And again, not an exact science, Right, I can't go exactly seven years from this particular date. This is going to happen. That's why we give it a range, seven to nine, because most things typically fall in that range. Mm-hmm. Right, We're talking statistics here. Yeah. So, good ballpark numbers. So, if we keep that seven to nine range, and we look at the last 42-ish years, basically since about 1980, my small town Southern Illinois math says we've got somewhere between five and six, depending on how you count that seven to nine year range, five and six downward phases over 42 years. Okay. So 1981, way back when, back when Xers were still being born, I believe. Okay. Millennials didn't come around until like 1984, right? Is that the is that the I, number we're going with these I days? Don't know. Or is it 80? Or is it 78? I don't remember anymore. But in those early 80s, 1981, for the year, the S&P 500 was down a little over 9%, 9.73. Okay. So if we look at the cycle, it says somewhere in those next seven to nine years, we should see another down in there. The next down year in the market was 1990. My back-of-the-envelope math says from 81 to 90. That's about nine years. That's nine years. So what if we look for the next down in there? Okay. 1994. Ooh, that's outside the range. 1994 was a down year, but it was down 1.5%. It wasn't a big down, but it was technically a down. So then we have to ask ourselves, does that reset that seven- to nine-year mark or... Was 94 just an anomaly in that time frame? I think the answer is, again, yes. I was about to say, kind of sounds like one of those yes answers. It is. Because if we take a look at the next down year, that was 2000. So 2000 is either just outside of the seven to nine years. On the long end, if we count 1990 as the reset, or it's just inside the seven to nine years at six if we count 94 as the reset. But it still seems like something fairly cyclical mm-hmm. going on. Uh, 2000, we saw a minus 10.14. Now you could look at that and go, okay, we are going to push this out another maybe seven to nine-ish before we hit another down. Do you remember what was going on in those early 2000s? Andy? Yeah, there were a lot of, let's say, outside factors. Yes. Yes, lots of outside factors in there. We we start with the dot-com bust. Yeah. Right? Late 90s, we had all of these tech companies 
creating all of these what they call dot-com companies now that were out there and they're making their their IPOs, their initial public offerings, and they're making all kinds of money as a big influx really yeah. quick and then going away in 6, 12, 18 months. Mm-hmm. So we see a massive pullback in there. There was also this little thing, little bitty thing, that happened in September of 2001. Yeah. This one I can date at September 11. Of 2001. Yeah, and that really kind of, you know, pulled not just us, but really a lot of global economic factors down as far as that uncertainty. Of course, yes. the long-standing war on terror was kicked off with yes. us, other allies. So a lot of factors kind of firmed from that one. Yeah, it wasn't just a, a single, you know, this is the part of the market cycle. We, we got all kinds of things globally, geopolitically. Uh, and and you know even in and we'll talk about this later the the world of your Fed funds rates and all these different manipulations going on. So 2000 we were down 10.14. 2001 we were down 13.04. And again, all this stuff's continuing to spill over. 2002, all these factors were minus 23.37. But wait, 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 wait a minute. You say that these are supposed to be. Every seven to nine years. So how do we have the three consecutive downs? That doesn't, as you would say, that math doesn't exactly math with the pattern. It doesn't until we go, okay, this wasn't just a normal cycle. We had a couple of these outside pieces in here that truly influenced Mm -hmm. in this, if you will. But it also kind of does math with that if you take 1994 as that cycle. Okay. Because 2001 would be seven years, 2002 would be eight years outside of 1994. Okay. And ultimately, in my world, we typically look at that down three consecutive as one big down phase. We, we don't exactly eliminate that year by year. Well, if I would have known that rule of going into this conversation, it would have been better. <laughs> well, you know, we don't always get to uh, know those rules until... They come up in the middle of a game that you didn't realize, you know, this was a penalty because you're trying to get somebody in off the sideline and he bumped into a guy on offense trying to get into the game. And now that's actually a, an offsides penalty. Uh, you guys and your statisticians and, you know, you can make any statistic fit how you want it to feel. It's true. It's true. That's why. I, that's why I like numbers. I can use them to tell a story and I can adjust them to tell whatever story I want to tell. Okay. So, good stuff in there. If we continue down this line, mm-hmm. okay, so we got the three consecutive down years. Well, how in the world do I calculate the next cycle? Again, we're going with the uh, what? What? Uh, one of my all-time favorite lines uh, in the Beverly Hillbillies was, we go with the pert near yeah. sort of math. It's pretty near this. So, if we look at if 2000, 2001, 2002... That's a cycle. That's a long down cycle. When is the next down cycle? Well, that's 2008 is the next down year, which falls, you know, somewhere between seven and nine, seven and nine through there. And if we actually look at that as the cycle, 2007 was not a down year, but September of 07 is when the markets started to drop. Yeah. And they finished dropping in March of 2009. Seven and nine as a whole, the years they were up. But if you look at the 18 months from September of 07 to March of 09, 
that's again another long down cycle that falls in that seven to nine year period through there. We then go, okay, I've got another long period here. Also, total complete and total sidebar, 2000 through 2009 in the financial world is considered what we call the lost decade in the stock market. Because if you took where we started the year, the S&P number at the beginning of 2000, January of 2000, and you look at where we ended up in December of 2009, it's almost a perfectly flat decade. Yes, there were ups. Yes, there were downs. People made money. People lost money. But in that grand scheme of that 10-year period... Pretty neutral. Pretty neutral in that big period. So, let's move this down the road a little bit again. Okay. Seven, eight, nine, eight was the only real true down year. The next down year is 2015. Slightly down, less than a percent for the year, but not bad. Little blip. Yep, is down there. Three years later, 2018. So if you count that, that's nine years after 2009, right? Again, we can massage this a little bit. Market was down uh, just about six and a quarter percent in 2018. Still falling in that time frame. If we take 2015, though, as the start of the cycle, you know what seven years after 2015 is? 22. It is. Look at this. The 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 Rampart High School math is working. Huh. Right? It's working. 2022 was not a good year in the market. Down over 19% in 2022. That falls right into that seven to nine year cycle. Oh, I mean, but then again, we also know that 20 just kind of started off good, but wasn't the best. 21, also not a good year as well. Right. So we get these little pieces in there, right? January through March of 2020, markets are down 34%. A lot of that had to do with some self-inflicted wounds that happened March of 2020. Not that, you know, our government would make any bad choices. (sighs) on a big giant topic of anything and send everybody home except those that were essential, except the essential ones that could work from home, but then you had to work even though you weren't allowed to work. Anyway, we could we could chase that rabbit hole. But by the end of 2020, though, we actually saw about a 20% up in the market. So we had a small blip at the beginning that was purely self-inflicted, purely outside of normal, and I put that word in quotes, normal economic happenings. We were on the outside of that kind of looking in um, at that point. But again, taking that big picture of what was really going on, 2022 falls into that. Or if we want to take 2018 and that larger down as the reset of a cycle, that means those years 7 to 9 are 2025, 26, and 27. So all these different things, all these different trends, those are things that we want to look at. But next year is not 25, 26, or 27, Andrew. Next year's 24. Yeah. So what in the world is coming in 2024? We'll tell you when we come back from this break. So stick around. We will be right back. Are you worried about what's been going on in the markets and how it has affected your portfolio? Maybe you need a financial checkup. 
If you have questions about the health of your financial future, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary checkup. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. Rick Stevens here with you in studio with Andrew Rogers. And as we were headed into the break, Andrew, we were kind of going through those seven to nine year cycles. And as we were in that break, you asked a really, really good question. Yeah, I was going to say, we know the next seven to nine, according to the traditional math, wouldn't come until about 25. We're going into 24, but, you know, with all this said, here at the end of 23, are we kind of up or down? Where are we at now kind of in that life cycle of everything? You know, here's the here's the crazy part. Okay. And and that's if you're, you're watching, you're listening to your mainstream media or your cable financial news people mm-hmm. – you probably feel like the world is imploding. Yeah. But coming into today's recording, the S&P 500 is up about 14.5% on the year. So if we're up double digits, 14.5, why then? Not only are they saying it or trying to portray it, but for a lot of like them every day, why does it feel like the world is crashing down? Well, part of that, part of the reason for that is we're still reeling from the high inflation we've seen the last couple years. So in our everyday world, we're paying more, although I did pay yesterday, Andrew, on Tuesday this week. Okay. I paid $2.70 a gallon for gas. How many fuel points did you have to use to get there? I just had a single 10 cent off on there. It was wonderful. I looked at that and I went, wow, it didn't cost me $100 to fill up my tank. (sighs) It was amazing. Yeah. It's short-lived because today it's actually 30 cents higher again. Wow. But it was nice. There are are alternatives. Yes, yes. One of us in here has that alternative. The other one has the ride a bike as the alternative. Yeah. So some some minor, minor issues. Another show for another day. (laughs) Uh, you know, but the, that it's a great question, right? Why does it not feel that good? Well, part of it is we're coming out of a minus 20% year okay. in the market. So even if we are up 14 and a half, if you take where we're at from January of 2022, which January 3rd was the high in 2022, literally the beginning of the year, we are not even back to where we were at that point. So we're up but still down. Yes, up but still down. So it doesn't feel as good because if you're not putting new money into, say, your retirement plan, your retirement plan's not where it was almost two years ago. Yeah. Still not back to that. So that's where you're going to get some of that feel. Another part of that is because there are 75 different responses in any news media that you see out there as to what has been happening and what's coming down the pike. And I always love, I, I see this stuff and I go through this every single day mm-hmm. with all of the different analysts, with all of the different economists, 
all these different folks that are sending things to my email inbox that I sift through so those out there in the listening world don't have to. Yeah. And I can tell you, if I got 30 different emails on a given day, they gave me 30 different answers to what's coming up. Uh, I, I, I pulled a couple of these the other day, and, and this was fun. So, USA Today. Headline is, Analysts expect the bull market to resume in 2024. Right? That sounds like a big, giant, yay! This is what's about to go on next year. Investor Place. Another piece where I can pull some headlines from. The stock market forecast for 2024 paints a gloomy picture. Huh. Interesting, because the last folks just told me it was all sunshine and roses and unicorns and rainbows, and these people are telling me it's a big, giant rain cloud coming. Well, I mean, that also goes into the who the they are, because, right. I mean, you know, analysts say, or experts <laughs> say, well, I mean, who who actually is saying this? Exactly, you know, and and one of one of the uh, other places, right? Investors Business Daily says this: even after a decent though uneven run for stocks, the stock market forecast for the next six months remains mildly bullish. So not all doom and gloom, but also not sunshine and roses. But uh, you know, it might be okay. Mildly bullish. <laughs> mildly <laughs> bullish. Uh, I always love that. Uh, then there's there was also an article. Uh, with uh, with a, uh, a young lady who's part of BNY Mellon, uh, the Bank of New York, mm-hmm. talking about what we're looking at coming ahead. says, I'm measuredly enthusiastic, meaning we've got to get through the next month or so, and this was actually back in September. But while the S&P could test that 4,200 level, which we actually did, we actually had some okay. below 4,200 days in October, there is a path for earnings growth to support the index going over 5,000 to 5,200. Well, my back of the envelope math says to get from 4,200 to 5,200, we're in about a 22% growth yeah. in that, which seems to me to line up with both the, well, it could be okay coming up. We, we might be all right, but we're going to see some down, but it could be great. Always love that sort of stuff. So we got a hundred percent chance of market. Yes, we got a hundred percent chance of markets happening. Yeah. So, what do we take from the quote unquote experts? I always tell folks this: wherever it is, and I don't even care. You can you can even put me in that boat. Whatever an expert tells you, take it with at least a grain and probably a teaspoon full of salt. Okay. Because there's always a perspective going on out there. In fact, in, in December of 22. So if we go back one year ago, most of the experts, in fact, virtually every call that I sat on with asset management companies, virtually every call said, Mm -hmm. we're going to be in for a very bumpy ride in 2023 and anywhere from 5 to 15% down is where we should probably finish that year. So hang tight, buckle up. We've never seen in all of history a year in which both stocks and bonds were down double digits. It's probably more of the same. 
and 2023 happened, and here we are, basically mid-November, up 14 plus percent. So was that that hard landing everyone was talking about? <sighs> there, well, there's that part of me that says, you know, guys, I know nobody wants to say this, but that recession that everybody thinks is coming up in 24 or 25 happened 18 happened months in ago. 22, yeah. But that's just me. That's just the guy who taught economics for 15 years who but, called a recession back-to-back quarters of negative GDP growth for 15 years. What do I know about that? Yeah, but that was the old definition. <laughs> you got to look at the new definition. That was the definition I wasn't pushing a political agenda with. That's just the definition that we've used for a couple hundred years. Yeah, but we got to look at recession 2.0. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, there's always an upgrade, right? Always an upgrade. Sometimes it's a forced upgrade, and that's when I have to get a new phone because that forced upgrade turns mine into a brick and it's useless. Well, again, we we could fix that as well, too. We get rid of some of that stubbornness. Uh, You know what? Who needs a new phone every four, five, six years? (sighs) It's only because they put the forced obsolescence in. Mm -hmm. That's all that really is. You know what that is? That's called predictable market growth. <laughs> ah, yes. Ah, yes. So, talking about predictable market growth here, Andrew, it's a great segue. It's like you've done this before. Yeah, once or twice. Once or twice. We've got to ask that question, what in the world should we be looking at in the upcoming year? And we will talk about that still ahead as we continue here on Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Well, folks, thanks for sticking with us through that break right here on Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. Rick Stevens in studio with Andrew Rogers. We are talking about some of those cycles, Andrew, those things to maybe even look at and expect in the upcoming year. Yeah, and I know you like to bring out... The crystal ball, you you know, you've mixed up your tea leaves pretty well. I guess the big question is, what should we expect moving into 2024? Well, I think the first thing in 2024 that we can expect is that spring training opens the middle of February in both Florida and Arizona. The Cubs have Craig Council as their manager, and the baseball season will eventually start. Okay. Beyond that, I can't give you a guarantee on anything else, including if we actually even properly turn the calendar page January 1st. Because sometimes in my house, that waits to like the third or fourth before I go, oh, hey, I forgot to pull that one off the far side calendar. I've got to get moved down properly here. There, again, a lot of questions about having the paper calendars these days. <laughs> hey, it's, it's all about being able to write down notes anytime you need to. True. That, that's what it is. So, some of those things that we look at for the upcoming year, or maybe I should say some of the things I look at for the upcoming year. Uh, we, If we look at the geopolitical side of things, yeah. we've got a little geopolitics happening around the world these days. There, there might be a couple of wars going on yeah. that we may or may not be partially funding 
um, or we just do it and then sometimes we fund one part of one war and end up funding both sides of the other one. Or we get asked to help fund it and we can't figure out how to actually come together to even figure that part out without throwing everything else under the sun in there and we just sit in a stalemate. Of course, of course, because why would we Why would we actually want to uh, make any decisions here? Speaking of decisions, 2024 is a decision year as we vote for a president mm-hmm. again. So... 2024, couple of wars, presidential election year, and because what we've seen in the last 18 months with the Federal Reserve, there's a very good likelihood that we see a reduction in our federal funds rate. Now, Rick, call me skeptical. Yes, Mr. Skeptical. Could at least those last two be connected? We're coming into a decision year. Uh Of course, we know there's, you know, one party in office now, one party vying to get full control back with this whole split. Could there be, I don't want to say some uh, artificial influence. You're talking about some shenanigans? Yes. Could there be some shenanigans, some tomfoolery, if you Uh, will, to try and either artificially inflate or, dare I say, deflate to try and make a point come November? Well, I will, I will say this, Andrew. If it's not a conspiracy, am I just a theorist then? Yeah. Now, with that said, there are cycles in everything. There are cycles in markets. Mm-hmm. There are cycles in how the Fed raises and lowers funds, their funds rate. One part of that cycle is somewhere between 8 and 18 months after the last increase is when they begin to decrease yes. rates. But that and was most the- recently. Most recently, if they don't do a December increase, that means July was our last increase. Eight months later is March. True. Or if they increase in December, eight months later becomes June, July, August, running into the actual election but time. But I was going to ask you that that is. In normal times, yes. and I think we can all agree what we've seen out of the Fed board <laughs> is uh. not exactly normal and on script as far as, you know, so many consecutive, fairly large interest rate increases after such a long time of drops and artificial lows to prop up and influence. Correct. Correct. And what we've been been hearing is that higher for longer sort of a concept. Most of the different analysts that I've been paying attention to don't necessarily know when that when the cuts will start. Yeah. But they expect 2024 to end somewhere with a four and a half to five percent range. So okay. they're expecting maybe two cuts next year. And if you map out when Fed meetings happen, Mm -hmm. those two cuts would probably be something like September and November. Yeah. So, again, not a conspiracy theorist, but if it's not a conspiracy, I'm only a theorist. Yeah. So that's the likelihood coming down there. And then, you know, kind of going to that, you know, consumer level point, again, noting that we may be up now, but down compared to year to year and that whole everything just feels awful 
is this going to be, you know, similar to what we see when there's, you know, gas prices and oil prices going up? Because we know oil prices go up, OPEC limits supplies. The first thing to go up is gas prices, is fuel prices, utility fuel, and that goes up very quickly. Yes. But then they start slashing the price of oil. But it seems like it takes a and lot the, longer of an off-ramp. Yeah, the, the for those fuel consumer price, side things. Fuel price stays up there a bit, and yeah, we are we are not going to see those massive changes from the consumer side. Whether you're talking about your credit card, you're talking about uh, those that might have a HELOC. We're talking mortgage rates. Those aren't going to come down as fast yeah. as the Fed slashes that Fed funds rate. So a lot of different working pieces through here. But if we just focus on those three, I'll start at what goes on in in our investment world in the capital markets during wartime. Okay. If you go back from 1926, right? So basically 100 years, we're looking at World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf War. Mm -hmm. The average return in that time frame, your large cap stocks – on average, return 10%. Your small cap, which has a little bit higher risk, they return 11 and a half. So during quote-unquote wartime, that's not actually the time to get out of investments. Yeah. And a lot of times folks think, oh, i got to get into bonds. i got to get into bonds. Actually, your long-term bonds are only a little over 5%. Your five-year, the intermediate-term bonds, are in the low fives. So there's not a whole lot of difference in that bond world and we still see the best growth in the actual investment on the equity side, both on the large and the small but in that time frame. Seeing this, is there any difference? And I know probably hasn't been studied or, again, we're in this unprecedented kind of nature. Is there a difference with us not actually being fully engaged in the war, our boots, our troops over there, and us just kind of funding – other wars on the other side of the world. So actually, the the years with which uh, the different wars are looked at, that is actually taken into consideration. So okay. World War II, starting in the 30s, we don't get involved until 41, but we actually look at what went on in the capital markets in the late 30s through the okay. end of World War II. And that's really the only one we've really been started out as just the funding and then got in. Uh, because a lot of these, we weren't funding anything until we got there. Yeah. Uh, we may have uh, semi-chosen a side in Korea and Vietnam, but we weren't actively funding until we put boots on the ground. Yeah. So that piece says we got wars going on. It's actually not bad in the investment world. Okay. Then we get to the weird one. The weird one is the presidential election okay. year. Uh, because even though as a whole... Presidential election years historically have been a positive for the market. They're not always that way. And in fact, over the last 40 years, so again, if we go all the way back to 1984, take that all the way through here, the average return on the market during a presidential election year for the whole year is 3.77%. Last 40 years, averaging 377 when the S&P 500 is averaging closer to 12. If you take out the two anomalies, the big plus in 1996, which was a plus 20 for the year, 
And the big minus in 2008, which was a minus 38 for the year, we still only see, we take out the two outliers, we only average 7%, which is about 30% below normal for a typical year. Okay. So, short version of what goes on during a presidential election year is that, yes, there can be some of the outliers that are really big ups and really big downs. The reality is it's typically a pretty non-eventful stock market year. And, and in fact, generally speaking, your market activity happens in that year, the first three months, right? January, February, March. Then we really get into the primary world and we get to the, we're going to choose the candidates and then they go on to their campaign stuff. And not much happens in the middle of that year until we get to November when the market lets that collective breath out and does the rest of the work November and December. And is that kind of that theory that the markets also like that predictability and obviously, you know, coming into the election, there's a lot of unpredictability. Exactly. Exactly. Markets, your institutional investors, they like being able to figure out, we think XYZ is going to happen, which is going to make these policies more favorable. So these are the companies that are going to be worth more, or these are the companies that are going to uh, maybe take a hit in the next two to four years. So it is that piece of predictability that markets like we have elections, whether those are the midterms, and there are things that happen right after a midterm election, versus having that full-on presidential election. Different things happen at different times. But what I also like to do, my favorite pitch man of all time, yeah. Billy Mays. But wait, there's more! The S&P 500. This is a crazy one. Since 1952... Every year that a sitting president has been running for re-election since 1952, the S&P on average gains 15%. Okay. Here comes the conspiracy part, right? Oftentimes, this can be attributed to the president and their policies and things being pushed to perhaps help markets yeah. a little bit, whether those are some different regulations on this, that, or the other, oftentimes we can see that, right? And and when there are budget constraints and, and split Congress at this point, there there is likely to be coming into the 2024 election a little bit of lack of things really going on. Um. The crazy part is there are some companies out there that still have the conviction that stocks will be up in 2024, right? They have that internal conviction. This is what's going to happen because this is what always happens. So takeaway number two, presidential election years don't typically produce major results unless an incumbent is running for re-election. And that's where the conspiracy comes in is that there could be some... Manipulation, yeah. we'll call it. Some favorable conditions yes. for the people in power. Yes. That brings us to the third piece of that. Looking at what happens in markets when the Fed funds rate starts to decline. When the Federal Reserve starts to reduce that cost 
that banks have to lend one another money overnight. Now, yes, we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. In the last 18 months, we've seen the sharpest, fastest, highest climb ever by the Fed Open Markets Committee. Mm-hmm. So what happens when they stop raising rates and when they start dropping rates? Your last six rate cuts. During the last six cuts, on average, the market has pulled back about 4.78%, not during the cut, but in the three months, in the 90 days leading into, we think they're going to start cutting. Okay. So almost a 5% drop in the three months leading up to, this is when they're going to start cutting rates. Mm -hmm. During the rate cut, the market has pulled back an additional 4.4%. So you take that three months leading into it, and the time frame of how long those cuts took, markets pull back just over 9%. Okay. Now, how long does the Federal Reserve cut rates? Average time in the last six has been a seven-month cut period. Okay. So we get almost a full year in there, right? Three months leading into it, seven months during cuts. Ten months, market is down 9%. Which, depending on where that goes... Could lead us into 2025 as a down year on a seven years after 2018 scale. I know. It's crazy, crazy sort of stuff. It still just boggles my mind that we've had these 18 months of the Fed's going to raise the next month, the next morning. It's up, but now you're saying it's going to take seven months for the cut? For, for all of the cuts, for them to go through their entire process. So they're not going to drop at 3% all in one shot. It'll be half a percent here, a quarter of a percent this time, maybe 75 basis points or three quarters of a percent. Well, we'll skip this one, but you know what? The next one will drop at 25. The The prevailing thought is that ultimately we get back to about that four to four and a half okay. range. But that's a long way to come from five and a half if you're only cutting a quarter of a percent each time. Yeah. That that puts us at about six cuts in that time frame. Six cuts should take about 10 months to make. It's like this thing works like clockwork. It's crazy. So that brings us to what in the world does it all mean? Right? We look at major data points. We can look at minor data points. Um, I do like to remind folks that when it comes to looking at your major and your minor pieces, uh, we look at the major stuff, right? We're talking about the macro view. And macroeconomists have successfully predicted nine out of the last five recessions. Okay. So, we get all these predictions. Sometimes it works. Or as my fantasy football team used to be named, because we're the walking wounded now, the blind squirrel finds the nut every once in a while. If you make enough bad predictions, one of them's got to happen, right? Yeah, but Somewhere then again, the you only need a batting average of 300 to get into the hall. That's true. But if a team only wins 30% of their games... You call them the Cubs. Well, I was going to say the Bears, but that'll work too. So our big takeaway with all of this is with all of these pieces of, of uh, data that, quite frankly, point three different directions... There's not one perfect data point on which to make the absolute perfect educated guess. But we try to paint that big best picture that we can get out there. So I come up with what 
I like to refer to as the RBG. Okay. And it's not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is Rick's best guess. Okay. So, putting the data points together, here's my best guess as to what we've got coming up. I think based on what we have seen, not only through this year, but what even that first quarter of 2024 looks like ought to happen, we'll probably see some decent but slow market growth. Purely a guess from when this guy's airing, so middle of November, probably through the end of March, we might see another grand total of 4 to 5% in that five-month period on the plus side. Most notably because Novembers are usually a plus one, Decembers are usually a plus one, and January is usually a plus one. February kind of flat. March is usually like a half to three quarters maybe on the way up. You take all those together, we could see a plus four to plus five from now through the end of the first quarter. If the Fed is on pace then, if we've seen the information, and yeah, they're likely to start cutting those rates in the summer, in that second quarter, in April, 90 days before this is going to happen, we're probably going to start to see that decline. It would not surprise me to go from April through the end of November, mm-hmm. coming to Election Day, to actually end up negative for the year at that point. Not a big negative, but maybe a minus one or two I could even see it going all the way down to about a minus three for the year at that point. But again, not big, not major, not this ginormous. I I saw a thing the other day that said, expect a 50% crash in 2024. And my said, what are you trying to sell people? Because nobody predicts something that crazy without trying to sell people something. That's not reality. That doesn't happen. You know, I, I, I always see this stuff. Oh, this guy successfully predicted the crash of the markets in 2007. Yeah, he also predicted that crash for 5, 4, 3, 1997, 96, 92, 91, and just keep going back, right? Again, the blind squirrel theory. So, back to what I think 24 can look like. Okay. Slight, slightly to the upside in the first quarter. Basically, quarter two through quarter three, we're probably going to see down in the markets, and that might even turn it down for the year overall. But I think once we get through the election... We hit November, December. We see a slight run-up at the end. And I think depending on how far down in quarters two and quarter three the market ends up, we're probably going to be anywhere from flat to a little bit down for the year. And and what I mean by that is we could end up at minus two or minus three by the end of the year. We could end up plus one or plus two. None of that range would surprise me. Anything beyond that, I would go, wow. Did not expect that to happen, whether it's further down or further up. But based on all the data, the different things that I look at, I think 24 is probably a fairly flat overall year. Okay. Again, a couple of big data points in there. Now, we also don't just want to use that outlook to determine what in the world we're investing in. We don't just want to look at 24 and go, this is how we structure our portfolio Yeah, I might make a tweak for some things in 24, but I'm not saying, hey, send it all to gold, send it all to cash, only buy U.S. treasuries. No, that's crazy. Wait, we can't just make our decisions in a vacuum or with blinders on? Uh, Believe it or not, that's not always the best way to do it. All right. You know, it's not, uh, should I do this or not? Let's check the magic eight ball and see, hmm, yeah, uh, 
seems fuzzy, check again later. Okay. Right? We're not we're not doing that. We want to take a look at things in that big picture, in that long term. So what I would tell folks is if we're looking at 2024 and, and 2024 is that year where we don't see a huge amount of growth or even see a little bit of down, that's a great opportunity to buy because things are on that low side. And, and we may have covered this cliche a couple weeks ago. Wait a minute. So you're saying if people are acting a little fearful, it might be time to uh, pull your Gordon Gecko pants on and get a little greedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great time to buy because, hey, guess what? Those Pilot G2 gel pins are on sale. I'm going to go ahead and stock up at that point in time. So that's kind of that uh, quick wrap in that big picture, what I kind of see coming down the pike for 2024. Again, not a, hey, we're going to, oh my goodness, it's all going to fall apart, or hey, look, it's all rainbows and unicorns. But let's compile these things from all these different pieces and different areas, and you know, let's let's talk a little bit realistic here because okay. you know it's a novel concept. I know, <sighs> crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So, folks, if you want to get that more realistic look at not only what's going on in your own portfolios, but that look at hey, what you've got coming down the pike, whether that's retirement, it's sending a kid to college, whatever the case may be. You can always feel free to give me a call at 719-500-8700. That's FRS Financial. Send me an email or stevens at frsfinancial.com. Go to the website, frsfinancialgroup.com, and hit that contact tab to send us that contact request. Folks, that is all the time that we have for this week on Money Matters. Uh, Next week, Andrew, we're going to be continuing to talk about people's money because their money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.